Good evening. My name is Andrew Park. Uh, I lead a ministry called Tribe here in Oakland. Thank you for having me here at uh, Regeneration. It's a blessing to be here. It's a blessing to be able to worship with you at a very full day after this morning. We have a circle church every other week at Tribe, and we're small enough to just click up into a circle and talk about last week's sermon. Uh, there were some pretty heavy things that are brought out, so we just laid hands on a few of our women and blessed time. After that, I uh, babysat my three kids so my wife could get a free haircut. She has very curly hair, so it's tough to find people who can cut your hair, especially for free. So she goes to a program in San Francisco and you know, they pamper her up, do her whole thing. But I got charge of the three kids and another one because another one of our moms had to study all day and had no help. So I just made them all take naps while I was hanging out with my littlest one. You know, good times. So, uh, but then it's good to be able to come and worship after a few phone calls with some of our young men who are messing up. It's good to be able to come here, sing songs like uh, Refiner's Fire. Uh, Real blessing. I also want to say thank you. I didn't get a chance to say thank you this morning. Regen has been supporting Tribe, uh, monthly amount. Uh, thank you to the elders, the leadership, to Albert here for uh, just sending the support, the prayers. Um, please know that over 80% of what you send goes to food. Um, that's, that's what we spend our money on, just lunches, feeding people in the park and, and events, etc. So just want to say thank you from those of us at Tribe to here at Regen. Would you pray with me this, this morning? this evening. <clears throat> Dear God, we thank you so much for this night, being able to be together, um, just as we uh, are going to get our week started. Thank you that we can come and, and end our day of rest, uh, perhaps for some of us, just getting into your word, being able to worship together. Uh, I just want to pray for those that may be here tonight, just really needing your word, Lord. Our, our, our bones feel like those in the valley. Uh, it talks about in Ezekiel, Lord, where it's coming alive, but some are still dead. And we, we, we don't know what to do about it. So we ask, Lord, that you would just speak your word over them, and they may come to life. Before we know it, there's some uh, tendons and sinews, muscles beginning to form, and finally just veins and skin, Lord, and Somehow, some way, you brought us back to life, those areas, that, those towers that we thought could never be reached. May you move forward in our lives in that ministry, God. Even as we try to minister to other people, it's just such a great thing that that's what it means to be your child in your kingdom. As we reach out, you're reaching into us, replenishing us, loving us, teaching us, rebuking us, and we're repenting and being filled by your Holy Spirit. And Father, we do want to turn out and, and, and turn to those who are not here, uh, to those in our city that are just really struggling at this time, God. We think about Occupy Oakland and the whole message that's trying to bring. We think about our mayor, our city council members, the leadership that's there, the police officers, the union leaders, the war veterans, the students, the people that have gotten their homes foreclosed on, the people that are having a hard time finding a job, keeping a job. We lift them up today, Lord. May you bless them, Lord, the, the homeless that have been taken care of for the past month because there's free food in the plaza, Lord. Uh, we pray that the other ministries like City Team and Crossroads really might be able to fill in the gaps, God. Lord, we also pray for just the daily, everyday struggle that's here in Oakland, Lord. Um, people getting shot, shot at, uh, just a daily domestic violence and abuse, the pimp culture, the lack of family, Lord. 
We lift these things up to you. We just say we need you. In Jesus' name, we just call upon you to to meet needs. And in that meeting needs, Lord, may people find faith. May you find faith. Finally, Lord, just open up the scripture to us. It's not an easy passage tonight. But perhaps you're just moving us forward, putting that arm around us as we're being rebuked. Because you love us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This passage says, What shall it profit a person they should gain the whole world, yet lose his soul? I remember the first time I read this, uh, black and white. They used to have advertising on inside of an AC transit bus, which I rode every day growing up uh, as, a, as a kid. You know, elementary school, middle school, high school. Couldn't wait to get off that bus. All kinds of stuff happened on that bus. You know, fights. I remember these girls putting Vaseline on themselves and, you know, just, just like their knuckles. And when we meet them on the corner, it's going to be like, I'm just walk up to her. And so many memories on the bus. Back door, back door. We need to get off this, getting kicked off the bus. Deep East Oakland, find my way home. Uh, fun times. But I was a, a troubled youth. I was a lost youth. And this verse brought such peace to me because it had the ring of a deep and timeless truth. In fact, I don't even think it was Christian necessarily, evangelicals that put that, because I think it said something like uh, a Jehovah Witness, a kingdom, something under there. The Bible, the word is the word. The second time I read this was in church summer camp. Uh, Some very fine-looking females that I liked, asked me to be a camp counselor. So I said, sure. You don't get paid? No, this is VBS church camp. Yeah, I'm working eight hours, ten hours a day. You don't get paid? No, but come oh, Okay, I'll do it. I'd already accepted Christ a few months earlier. But not that much had changed. I was still doing the same things. I lied, cheated, stole, lusted, got in fights. And of course, cussed up a storm. Like we see too many Oakland youth doing nowadays. The difference was that now I felt bad about it. I was thinking, becoming a Christian is not such a good deal. Because you do the same things, but now you just feel bad about it. I still lied to get by. I could hang out with some of the girls now because their fathers weren't so upset. You know, word had traveled around the church, but I couldn't sleep with them. I couldn't justify you know, punking people. I, I tried to still act hard, but it didn't feel like it was who I was anymore. I was changing, losing myself, growing out of my cocoon, my comfort zone of chaos and being lost. That is a comfort zone. When you see violence every day, I saw violence every day. If it wasn't people, it was pit bulls. I hate pit bulls. You know, to this day, I almost build my face. You see, and, but you can develop that comfort zone. I was losing that. If you want to pray for Oakland youth, pray that they might find peace. Because so much of what they see every day, they turn to the TV because that's, that's their peace. Because in their house, you don't know what goes on. I got one guy who moved out of the projects. He said, Drew, I want to move back to the projects. I said, you tripping. Why do you want to move back to the projects for because this here is, I'm lonely, I'm bored. All I have is a TV back home. If I want to get entertained, I go outside, see the UFC, you know. 
we hang out all night, police leave us alone. You know, we can just, there's someone to talk to all the time. And then you can see drama people just arguing with each other. It's crazy, but it's fun. I was losing that into a new world that I couldn't see and touch, fully dissect and understand. Things of the heart, real, real relationships. These things were grabbing a bigger foothold on my life. What shall it profit a person if they should gain the whole world yet lose their soul? So I was at this church camp, and I remember telling this little kid, stop cussing, stop cussing. And he just looked up at me, and he, you know, one of those gas faces, you know, why? And it just, like, stopped me in my tracks. I, 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 you know, it was God. It was a God thing. I don't know why it stopped me in my tracks. I was still cussing, yes, but it was something about that moment. I just could not go on living hypocritically. It was very light. You know, it's a lot of hypocrisy. That's a very light hypocrisy. You tell someone not to curse, and you're still cursing. This is church camp. That's the best answer I could give to him. This is church camp. You don't cuss here. And if you keep on cussing, we're going to take you out back here. That's how we handle things. I didn't say the last part, but I wanted to. You know, some of you that work with kids, you wish you could take them out, especially the middle school kids. We had like a dozen of them over the other night. I was like, gosh, you guys, we're going to stop doing this because you're driving me nuts. This angst, this uneasy feeling came over me like life was not what it should be, like a sword was dividing my spirit. So I asked my head counselor for the afternoon off, and I found refuge in a quiet room, and I just started reading the Bible, just started reading. When I came across, you know, this passage is in three of the four Gospels, and, but I ran across it in Mark here. And the first time it hit me, it gave me peace. This time, when it hit me, it felt like a ton of bricks over the head. I don't know why it stopped me in my tracks, but I couldn't keep going until I digested it, chewed on it, swallowed it, fed on it, and let it give me life. I remember praying, praying the type of prayer where words are there, but you just can't speak it. It's like deep calling out to deep. And I've thought about this over time. And, you know, you always put, even if there's words unspoken, later on in life when you remember it, you put words to it. And if I could put words to it now, now here's what I would, I think, if, how it would come out. I would say, God, I'm sorry. I haven't taken you seriously. I'm giving away my soul daily in exchange for crud. I want to, that's not the word I use. How would you? <laughs> I want to consciously give you my soul. I want to willfully give my life to you. Seriously. 100%. I want to keep it 100% with God. You know, there's some, you know, we have all kinds of uh, frames and personalities in life. But if you're not keeping it 100% with somebody in your life, you know, that's, that's a problem. you got to come to that place. Who are you keeping it 100 with? And finally, God and I had to come together. I want to keep it 100 with the Lord. I never felt the Holy Spirit more powerfully than I did in those moments. I never cry, but it made me cry. In the middle of the afternoon, as I was entering my freshman year in high school, God finally got a hold of me. I finally let go and let God. I made it. Well, in a way, except that I've taken my life back on a number of occasions. You know, when you really want something, a car, a girlfriend, um, to really get into a school, a house, to be comfortable. It's like, ugh, take, take the control back. 
or when life just overwhelms you and stress you out. I forget about God. I start to pray about it, but ultimately, I revert to my old ways. I don't know about you, but for me, it's lying to get by, settling for second best, cheating to get what I needed, cutting corners, pining and punking my way through to get what I wanted, controlling situations and manipulating outcomes. Does that sound familiar? I'm keeping it real here. Selling myself short, sabotaging myself. This is a natural course of our lives, that we too easily give our souls away. That even though the soul is the most precious thing that we have, the most valuable thing, it's an everyday struggle to not give or barter them away. And this is especially true when you're on the move and try to do something for God. If you're in the pits, that's exactly where the devil wants you to be. He's going to leave you alone. I don't need your soul. You can keep it. It's already messed up. But as soon as you try to move and do something and pray the prayer, you know, you've been praying to get a job. You finally got a job. You were going to church for a while. As soon as you get the job, it's like, oh, I'm too tired to go to church. You know, I got some other things to do. I, f- I found my man. You know, I got my children. Wh- whatever the case may be, it's like when you really try to do something positive, that's when it becomes difficult. Penn State, Joe Paterno, terrible, heart-wrenching situation there. But I don't think that it would have been as hard for him to completely come out if he were not chasing the record for college football wins. Football wins. Instead of coming out and saying that these children are being abused and protecting the children, he didn't do all that he could have done. It's because he was on the move trying to do something. Ah, it's not, we're doing so much good. We have to keep the the, the symbol and the pride and the good of, of of Penn State or the Catholic Church or whatever else you want to put in there. Built on a house of cards. Arab Spring, revolution. Occupying is the easy part compared to rebuilding and making better. We live in challenging times. There's so many opportunities to show and share your faith. Let me repeat that. We live in challenging times. And because of that, there's so many opportunities to show and share your faith. We can run from rebuke, taking refuge in safe and sane, comfortable environments. We can stay in that place where we keep our faith just on the surface, saying the right things. Or we can have Jesus. This is the invitation tonight. You can have Jesus tell you, get behind me. Call out the devil in you and really grow. Do some things together. See real change. See the gospel in its fullness. I love that name of the church. Acts full gospel. I wish it was like Jesus full gospel. See Jesus in his fullness. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks be to God that he's the Lord who's in the business of redeeming enslaved souls. He does this by showing us what is chaining our souls down, bringing our faith into the real world. Conversion happens at confession. Change happens when it's challenged. Conversion happens at confession. Change happens when it's challenged. Just to boil it down, I mean, what what, what would the guest speaker speak on? You can say, oh, he just talked about putting your money where your mouth is. That's half of it. The real thing I'm saying tonight is you can't put your money where your mouth is. We're simply incapable of doing so. You got to put your mouth out there because if you don't dream, if you don't vision, you'll never go anywhere. You'll be depressed. I know a lot of depressed moms out here. We work with a lot of depressed moms. And the main thing we're trying to do is, what do you dream about? What do you want? Before 
You know, your baby daddy got shot, sent to prison before your kids messed up, your son got shot. What was your dreams? You know, but the hard thing is, is the thing that we all have to face, especially as Christians, you can't put your money where your mouth is. And because of that, God graciously brings things before us to show us what is chaining our souls down so that we can see for ourselves, confess that down, and repent. This is what's happening to Peter in this story. He starts out as a star, rock star. He speaks up when everyone else is afraid to raise their hand. They're going into Caesarea Philippi. Jesus asks a very interesting question. What are people saying about me? Who do they say I am? You're Elijah, one of the prophets. Then he gets to his real point. What about you? Who do you think I am? Everyone else is like, I don't want to get the wrong answer. We kind of know. Peter's the one that steps up and says, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. Jesus affirms him right away. Peter, you are the rock. I'm going to build my church upon you. So he's rock star status right now to be envied. But it wasn't over for Peter, just like it wasn't over for me when I accepted Christ. In fact, just moments later, I mean, Peter gets no break. Just moments later, he goes from being envied to embarrassed. His confession, his statement of faith is being put to the test into the real world. Peter could never know what was keeping his soul in bondage, what selfish motives lay in the background, the areas that had been decaying and rotting for years. The reason why there's decay and rot is because you don't know it's there. It's dry rot. I don't know until you fall through one day. Oh, shoot, I need to get that fixed. The places of pain and fear inside. That is until Jesus brings these things to the surface for Peter to see for himself. It's good to have knowledge. We can study theology, no church history and the creeds. There's nothing wrong with growing up in a good environment, safe surroundings, privileged upbringing. I'm working hard to have that for my children, to be around the right type of people, filled with opportunities, education, and situations that would lead to safe, secure, successful lives, and reach out at the same time. There's nothing wrong with those things, but sometimes these things that keep us in bondage, and we can too easily trade these things away for nothing. We lose what it means to be a radical in Jesus. What would Jesus really have you do? Let's take that off of a bracelet, and let's put that onto our hearts. Let's put that into the forefront of our minds. When's the last time you prayed to God? I don't know what to do, God. God, what should I do? Just just really being there. Five minutes a day. Something important in your life. God, what should I do? I don't know what to do. Is two weeks too long? I don't think so. But to be honest, sometimes I'll go for months without asking that of God. Because I've got a regiment. I've got a schedule. I've got kids. We lose what it means to be a radical in Jesus. Radical is Jesus' word. And I'm saying that with all the force that Cuba Gooding had. And uh, I've seen that movie. Is that my dating people here? Uh, Albert, you got to help me out here. It's, it's the movie uh, Jerry Maguire, you know, Quan. He said, that's my word. Jesus, radical is Jesus' word. Uh, no. Jesus says, don't think that I've come to bring peace, but the sword to divide people. This is a radical Jesus. Not to be radical for the sake of being radical. I know that's like a fad thing to do nowadays. But, but radical is that Jesus often goes against the world. So if you follow Jesus, you often end up taking it from all different sides. It's like, well, well hold up. I'm just trying to follow Jesus. And people all of a sudden will be upset, offended at you. 
Jesus said, blessed are those that persecute you because of me. Jesus, the radical Jesus, the 160 tents that are over there at Occupy uh, Oakland. Uh, I took a look at, you know, I've been down there several times and have some friends who are trying to organize. Not that I agree with everything that's going on, but I just took a look at who's down there. The homeless, the kitchen being fed, you know, city team ministries. Uh, they're not getting as ma- many uh, people over there in their beds because it's a nice community. They don't have to come in at 6 o'clock and participate in Bible study. They can just hang out, get free weed. There's uh, young youth, there's war veterans, there's students, uh, who else? Revolutionaries, zealots, agitators, the mentally ill, criminals on probation, violation. Don't you think Jesus would be down there too, hanging out, trying to give a word, healing people? I, not that he'd be Occupy Oakland, but he would definitely be in the midst. And you'd be hearing stories. Yeah, there's this dude, Jesus. He did this for me. You know, quiet, telling people, don't tell anyone I did this for you. He'd be there. Peter from a place of being envied, he did not want to go back to a place of insecurity and insignificance. He thought he had made it. Jesus just called him the rock. I'm going to build my church on you. Then Jesus began to reveal the next steps, that he would suffer, be rejected by people. He'd be killed and rise again. I don't think Peter heard the rise again. All he heard was rejected. Okay, I can, okay. He'd suffer, okay, a couple years. He'd be killed. No, no, no. What are you talking about? That's losing. I didn't sign up for this. What are you talking? And with each detail, it says that Jesus made it plain. I love that. Jesus just made it plain. With each detail, I think the stress, the burden, the angst increased inside of Peter, finally to the point where Peter took Jesus aside and said, No, 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 Jesus. I'm rebuking you. It shall never be this way. This is not what I signed up for. I thought we were going to ride you all the way to the top, that there'd be a big payoff, that we'd be taken care of and secure, well-fed and wealthy, accepted and respected, loved and admired. We'd replace the elders, the structure of this day, maybe become the new 1%, but the new just 1%, the holy 1%. This can't be. I don't want this. Peter's confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Savior, is now at war with what is on the inside of him. His selfishness, his needs, his greed, his fears, his pain. I love how real this story is. Because this is often how my relationship with God is. I pray. I can go to church, confess my beliefs and sin, worship, fellowship. But I still mess up. It's hard to have your selfishness put out there in front of you, especially as a father nowadays. Sometimes when the school teachers try to check me, or the principal says, I need to get a tardy slip for my daughter. It's like, I'm just trying to spend some time with my daughter. I don't need a, a, a tardy slip. You know, it's, just, it's hard getting checked. But to have all these things put you know, before you, just your needs that you have, your desires, sometimes good desires for fame, success, pleasures, the fears of rejection, failure, pain, to see these things put in front of you, so difficult, even harder to give up even when they might be hurting you and holding you down. A person could be in the most abusive situation in the world. It's been tough. We've been dealing with some of that lately. You know, some of our ladies come in with black eyes and mothers calling me and just saying, you got to do, we need an intervention. And everyone else could see it. He's bad for you. That situation is not right. You need to get out. 
You're selling yourself short. You're worth so much more. It's not your fault. You're putting your child in harm's way. You can say whatever, but they can't see it. They can't, we can't put our money where our mouth is. They can't, it's just so difficult. It's almost impossible to break free. Perhaps you too can relate to Peter. Do you feel God bringing up some uncomfortable things in your life? Have you felt the Lord's rebuke? And I know your response. You run from it. You, you hide. You deny it. Because that's exactly what I do. But have you felt that? Do you feel challenged? And because of the challenge, are the chains of your soul being brought to the surface? And even though it feels like you're losing too much of yourself, too much of the familiar, like a pound of flesh is being cut off, do you feel ready more than ever? Do you feel ready for repentance? Is that a good word for you lately? Peter wasn't ready for Jesus to call out the devil inside of him. We're never ready. Rebuke is never easy. But don't you want, I mean, for me, when I, when I come to and I say, God, give me the best of what you have. Help me not to settle. I want the Lord to take me from confession to expression, from safety to purity, from success to significance, from faith to action, from knowledge to love, drawing out the things that are holding me down. Because if left to ourselves, we nurture fear and greed and exchange our souls for them. We can all become the 1%. We all have that capacity, that sin gene. Just because we're part of the 99% doesn't mean we don't have the evil inside of us of the so-called 1%. And I, this terminology, I think other countries are looking at us like 99%, 1%. We don't understand those terms because you, your whole country is 1% compared to our 99% here. I know many pastors are preaching this personal sin, personal responsibility. I think it's an easy thing to preach right now. Because you find a safe zone. And, but we always preach that. And I think it's the reason why too many churches are not out there you know, protesting. I'm not saying we all, I'm not, that's the last thing I'm saying. But I think too many of us are not out there. I love how some of my pastor friends are out there doing it, speaking, and some aren't. They're standing with the city council, with the small businesses saying they need to be out because they're hurting you know, people that we love. I love how people are on both sides. But what I am saying this evening is that the message of Occupy Oakland is a very Christian, a very moral, a very Jesus message. And the message is this, is that we as a nation are tired of selling our souls for money. We're tired of being stuck in a system that requires too much for success. We don't want to do it anymore. We want to know where our food comes from. We don't want to be poisoned. We want our kids to be in small class sizes, not be Put into treat it like cattle. We we want so less going to so many wars that we don't understand. Explain it to us at the least. Maybe I'm just naive, but but there, there's some dreams, some visions that we have, some desires that some some justice that we want. This is Jesus' message. He was the first, maybe not the first, but he 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 pronounced these things very clearly in the word. The root of all evil is, is, is love money. How hard is it for a rich man to get into heaven? Woe to the rich man, he says in James, because you're in a position that's, that's, that's to be pitied. And blessed is, are the humble and the poor because you have a, a position to be em- envied. You're in a lofty position. Here's the problem, though. So we know the verses, but we as Christians at churches have been living otherwise. We go after, we admire, we admonish, we affirm the 1%. You know, and this might be hard for some of the parents. If some, there's some parents here of college students. 
hear me clearly on this, but how do we affirm the 1%? We go, you know, go to school, get good grades. We hear that. You know, well, school's not teaching me anything right now. It's like, teachers aren't there to teach. They're, they're stuck with their research. And I'm not interested, you know, get into a good college, grad school, so you can get a good job and be successful. For what? Is it really a road to somewhere? Are we, where, where, where are we headed? Jesus was the one to point out that we must not continue on this destructive, unjust, violent, materialistic, commercial, corporate, unhealthy, uninspired path that we've been on. That's the question I've been asking myself these past two weeks. Am I living an inspired life? Am I following? Just following? Am I really following Jesus and is he inspiring me? I know that the protests have, uh, especially lately, have been sounding a lot like whining, envy, jealousy, complaining. But I think we'd all agree that we do need to stop selling our souls. It's just, it's just difficult because we don't know, you know subconsciously, uh, out of weakness, path of least resistance, making these choices to go that direction. I mean, there are very few people with, are saying what this MBA student said in the Daily Cal. I have a day job over in Berkeley. And uh, she said, I'm not joining the protests of 99%. Why would I do that? I'm working very hard to become part of the 1%. And I was like, for real? Wow, I respect that. You know, God can do something with you. You're just being straight up honest. And I laugh, but it's a nervous laugh. Because if you're like me, you don't have the courage, the heart to say something like this out loud. But we chase it in our hearts. Quietly plotting, driven by fear, motivated by competition and pleasure, making choices that set the direction of our lives. We say, oh, well, I I, I have to. I invested all this in it. While all the whole time it kills our faith. And we wonder how we're living uninspired lives. This is a path that exploits people. Maybe not directly, but indirectly commoditizes our health and welfare, destroys dreams, devalues art, music, and dance, makes children consumers. That's what they're trying to turn our, not, not, not that's what the devil is trying to turn our children into. It's just consumers. That's all they are. Monetizes relationships, squeezing out expression, purity, real significance, faith, and love. And it's so sinister because we usually don't even know that we're doing it. We've sold out We're oppressing people with our actions. Jesus is hitting this hard truth here in this passage that if left to ourselves without reformation, revolution, or repentance, we will naturally give our souls away in exchange for appeasement of our fear and greed, ruining our lives. To this, Jesus says to Peter, Jesus says to us, get behind me, Satan. You don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of people. I took my oldest daughter to the Family Brigade of Occupy Oakland, the Day of Action. And just to explain to you why I did that is that we are part of a system. I, do, I sent her to a great school, actually. She's learning Spanish. She's learning how to roll her R's. She's saying she loves homework. And we're doing, we've already raised just like $5,000. We're out there hustling bake sales, selling lumpia and, and, and pasole, and we're trying to raise money for the school. Welcome to the New World Order with public schools. So we want to send the message that, that you participate in the system. You try to do your best, um, you know, obey the laws. Uh, cops are good generally. But sometimes you have to also 
send a message, and I'm trying to send a message just to my daughter saying, the system is not always just. You can be in a courtroom, and I'm in a courtroom a lot, and you don't see justice there. You see the law, but not justice. Everyone's trying to study and uphold the law, not necessarily justice. There's unfair, oppressive things happening within our system, and sometimes you have to go out and you have to protest that. So we are going to, very safe family, you know, a friend of mine who's organizing invited me. I'll come out, support you, support this message this day. Take her out of the school. We, already, we checked her in that day, so they got their uh, federal money, you know, signed her out. But we're going to be out here. It was a beautiful day. I heard these moms. They called a mama's mic. A one lady would get up on a stool, and she'd say, I have a dream. And 15 mothers behind her would say, I have a dream. So it was a natural microphone when there was no uh, mic, no sound system out there. And it was beautiful because these women were expressing, they would say stuff, I have a vision that my children can grow their own gardens and know what they're eating in their food and not, be, uh, 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 not, not have to drink soda and all these other things I have no choice over when they go and out into the world. I have a dream that my kid can learn in, uh, creatively. Uh, 50, uh, and, Halfway through, I was like, wow, this is some real green, homegrown, granola stuff. But, but at the end of the day, I was like, this is beautiful. We need to do this. We need to do this in churches more, you know, where we sit around. What has God placed on your heart? Tell me your dreams. What are some of the visions? And you say, well, that's, that sounds kind of uh, 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 you know, new agey. What, what's up with that? Well, it's God and Joel that says, I will, and it's quoted all, you know, Peter in the New Testament, I will give your young men and women dreams. And visions. May we all be young men and women in our hearts, in our souls, that we can dream and we can vision. And if we were to sit down in circles more often and say, what do you dream? What do you vision? Put it out there. Maybe we can inspire one another and draw out that faith that is in each one of us rather than continuing the same old, same old. Anyway, it was a beautiful day. Loved it. I was thanking the Lord. saying, Lord, please bless this. May, may it go far to relieve suffering. You know, bring more justice into this world, into our city, in Oakland. I know Oakland very well, and we need some change, and we can do some tangible change in a very short amount of time if we come together, adjust some of the systems that are there. It was all great until we started marching. And this one guy would say, share, and the whole group would say, share. So it was one of these numbers. Share, 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 yeah. I couldn't do it. Not, it wasn't just because it sounded like we were whining, complaining, bitter children. But it was also because at that moment, I mean, I was just kind of on my own thing. I realized, I saw how much, why we need Jesus so bad. I mean, we can judge correctly, point out injustices. We can take action, protest inequalities. We can demand, even force the powerful to share. But we can never change a person's heart. In other words, Occupy Wall Street might make things better, change some systems for the short term. But I think without the Lord, without some Christian people in there praying, not, not because we're Christian, but praying for the Lord to have mercy and to do his thing, work his miraculous, that we'll end up just in the same spot, but even worse. Because it'd be like, wow, that failed big time. This is a gospel. When my daughters don't share, I do one of two things. I either take away the item from the one that's been dominating it and give it to the one that hasn't, or I take it away completely from both of them so that they can come to their senses. And they'll say, Daddy, Daddy, okay, uh, we don't need you. We'll, we'll work it out. And this is the older one talking. His younger one has no, has, doesn't have the words for that yet. And so just, just leave. Uh, give, give it back to us, and, and we'll work it out. You won't hear any more crying. Neither of those actions get them 
to really share that much more. What does get them to share, what does work, is building our sense of family, having dinner together, telling them how beautiful they are. And in moments where we can teach them, you know, when you hoard things and when you don't share, how, how, how do you think that makes someone else feel? How does it feel when someone else cuts you down and, and, and is being greedy with their stuff? That increases their capacity. I can literally see, like, changing. Oh, I don't want, and I'm so proud of my daughters when, when they're doing something and they say, oh, here, you can, you can have it. It's like, so it's like one of the most beautiful things in the world when you see children do that. Some of you guys who work with children, it's, it's like sometimes your adrenaline rush, what you live for to see during the day. It's just so different with our Father, with our God. Sometimes he takes away from the rich, gives to the poor. He says that himself. He does that. Sometimes he takes away the thing completely until we come to our senses and we say, oh, Lord. But most of the time, what God does is he builds a sense of family. He loves us. He shares his grace with us. And in the greatest act of sharing family in the history of time, what did God do? That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Amen? Amen. That's the greatest act of sharing family ever. I want to adopt. I know some of you may want to adopt. But it's got to start with you having some people over for dinner, changing your family structure. You can actually reach out there. And that's, that's what God's doing. He's like, look, I realize you don't feel a part of the family. I need to bring you in here. And the only way you can understand this is if I share Jesus with you. And Jesus, by coming into this earth, God showed us how to share by being one of us, willingly giving up his position and power by not going after what is rightfully his. He taught us by doing it himself, being put to the ultimate test. He gave up his life rather than take it back so that we can know the extent of his love. And by doing so, he became worthy to take all of our sin and selfishness, that which makes us not share and ruin this world, worthy to take all the crud upon himself and pay the punishment for it all. I know sometimes when you hear the gospel, and that's the gospel right there, it's like sometimes you heard it so much it goes over. But for me, it doesn't make sense. It's like, what? All this bad stuff in the world and you're going to come die for us? I don't understand that. I just want to give you a small example. This past week I was at Juvenile Hall. Juvenile Hall, uh, I'm not sure if it was like this when I was a kid. Luckily I never um, had the privilege of going to jail. But uh, they have jail and the courts all in the same place. You know, you get your ankle monitors off right then and there and then you go see the judge or vice versa. So we were... In the courtroom, and the judge was like on one. He was so upset, taking out his anger. Um, I wanted to be out of there. So one of my mentees, he's getting his uh, ankle brace taken off. But all of a sudden, the judge said, what is this? What kind of music are you listening to? Starts reading off the lyrics of some rapper named Sideshow Bob or Professor X. I don't know what the rapper's name was. And, and, and he looks up. He's so mad. He looks like he's about to eat the microphone. And he turns to the mic. I'm not going to try to tell you how to be a parent. But this is the problem with the urban youth of color nowadays. He didn't use those words. I mean, he used some straight-up racist words. He's like, that's the problem. Blah, 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 blah. What are you doing as a mother? What kind of mothering is that? What kind of parent are you? It wasn't for her benefit. He was venting on her. He was just unloading. And then he turns to me and he says, how about you, mentor? What are you doing? What kind of mentoring is that? Maybe I need to switch things up. I didn't say a word. I came outside. The mother almost just losing it. And as her son is coming, she goes, boy, we're here for you. 
I'm getting clowned by the judge. Even Drew's getting clowned by the judge. We're here for you. You better shape up, boy. Oh, you know, and I just want her to keep going because as she's expressing her pain or anger, I'm like, yes, because I was about to go off on that judge, too. And all day I was going to go off on that judge until as I saw her saying this, I saw Jesus. See, Jesus is there in our courtroom, not just as the advocate, the mentor. He's taking it all. When we're sitting there to be judged by a judge and for all the things that we've done unto other people, Jesus takes it straight to the heart, all of our sin. To take it one step further, that day, I wanted to call the judge. I wanted to write letters. I know some, some judges. You know, it's not right what he did in that courtroom. You know, I know some powerful people. Every time I thought of that, I just thought of the mother, just thinking about how she felt. And it enabled me to pray for her in a new way that I've never prayed for people who are like, you know, going through it. I just want to say, Lord, please bless them. Help them to get through this. Give them the strength. But it was like, Lord, just, just help her to know that she's a good mother. Help her not to reach back for those substances that she's worked so hard to get off of. Help her to, to just be the, and bring a friend by today. You know, just, just these prayers that were coming. I was, that's why it says in Hebrews, Jesus can lift us up and be our advocate and pray for us. And he knows exactly what we're going through because he was there and he got to put all on him. I don't know if that's working for you, but I've been feeding off that for the past week. What shall it profit a man to gain the whole world? What shall it profit a woman to gain the whole world, yet lose her soul? Just to end with some examples of how I see people not giving up their souls, how I see people denying themselves. Because, you know, Jesus asked that question to, to basically get to the meat of what he's saying, which is to follow me is to deny yourself and to take up your cross. Albert is a good friend. I consider him a good friend. I look up to Albert. He has great faith. He's one of the smartest guys I know, but the decision he makes, it just has faith written all over it. And, and it's not necessarily to push regen forward, even though he's trying to do that, but it's to push the kingdom forward. And when you see that type of integrity, when you see that type of faith, it inspires you. We, we get that from our friends. Some other examples of living radically, of denying yourself, of God shaking the grip that, of the things that have been holding on to our souls. When a young man or woman makes a choice to not do something. No, I'm not going to have sex. You know, I, I talked to some young men and they were like, you know, I stopped hanging out with those dudes. And I have a girlfriend, but I choose not to have sex. And it's like a, a freshman in high school talking when everyone else, seemingly, the perception, is doing it. It's like, you're living radically for Christ. Let me affirm that, young brother. In marriage, you can live radically for Christ because that's where you really get tested. Some of the things you've been holding on to, boy, your spouse will bring it to the surface. God will use your spouse in your life. You know? and we often resist that. You know, go into roles. Oh, I'm, I'm the head of the household. You know, I'm a helper or whatever. I do this or I do that. So who else in your life is going to speak to you, speak truth in a loving way and bring up some of those chains that you have? And instead of running away, appeasing, you know, ourselves going to our old habits and I ask the Lord help me through this situation it's so tough my wife and I will get into it sometimes like I can't I was like I tell my daughter to apologize he goes no I'm not saying sorry and they're crying I can't I'm, no say sorry just say and it'll be all over and it's just complete silence you know can't say that's how I feel but I know the Lord's that's his ministry to me not going after money um, being a teacher living among the poor uh I think the, the intern program here, Albert and I will talk, we'll, we'll pray for the interns, and, and just, I've heard some of you guys' stories, leaving the lives, very successful careers. Very, you know, you're into a place where it's like, everyone wants to be you. That's what we're, we're all working hard towards to get there. It's like, no, 
I feel God calling me towards this. I'm going to pursue this. While family saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? You're going to live where? And not get paid anything? No. I know you're getting paid, but you're not getting paid anything. You know that. But that inspires me. Maybe this question, this timeless, deep truth has been bothering you lately. What shall it profit a person to gain the whole world yet lose their soul? I want to just end uh, with Peter since we sort of started with him. Well, let me start by saying this, is that I just saw a movie, um, Tangled, and you know, Rapunzel, long hair, stuck in a tower. And as I, as, I was, as I was seeing this movie, I don't get to watch movies because I drive and the DVD's in the back of the car. You know, kids have seen it a million times. My wife has seen it a million times. But as I was seeing this, it's like I was getting emotional. That is Oakland pimp culture right there. Steal someone away, lock them in a tower, use them for your purposes, give them a new name, and just use them dry for what they have. Make them fear the world, never go out. You know, this past week, some young lady shared that they basically been trafficked, not trafficked sexually. I mean, that's, that's one aspect, but there's other things. You can house clean for me, watch my kids, or we get government checks from you that you don't know about. There's many ways to get pimped. That is Oakland pimp culture right there. Really tough to break free. Peter, he could have been stuck in that same tower. The things that are pimping his life, not being able to break free. He could have run from this rebuke and just continue to think about the things of men. But instead, he heard the words of Jesus to deny yourself. You know, as he gets rebuked and in front of the whole, it says Jesus turned him around in front of the disciples, rebuked him in front of everybody. Get behind me, Satan. Peter thought about these things. And it's because he thought about these things, took them to heart, and failed a few more times. So be encouraged if you failed a few more times. If you've been afraid to leave that abusive, it doesn't have to be a man, but some abusive situation where it's sabotaging you constantly. And it just seems like it's been years. Don't be discouraged. Peter went through that. But Peter, we see, ends. He's the one on the day of Pentecost standing up in front of 3,000, praying, brothers and sisters, do not be alarmed. Do not be frightened. This is what's going down. He tells the whole gospel from the Old Testament on. It was Peter that was able to, to, to suffer prison with John. It was Peter that was able to go to the brothers when there was awesome, almost an early schism in the church between, should we let the Gentiles in? Should we not let them? You know, they're really dirty. Ew, what, what's, what's going on? They're eating these food. No, this is not the gospel. The gospel is us, and we share with everybody else, and they're kind of lower than us. Peter's able to say to his brothers, I love you guys. You know I love you guys. James is the leader of the church, but you know God's been on me. This is what God showed me. Listen to me. He's able to take a stand, have courage, go against the tide, even go against the tide of the church. And he was able to bring a refining fire, you know, reformation to the you know, early church there. It's because of, I think, this, in, what, this is one of the main incidents in Peter's life where he accepted that rebuke. Perhaps this message is for you tonight. Let me close with some prayer. Dear God, we thank you so much for this evening. And it's intense, God. This passage is intense. This is an intense you, the radical you, but it's also the amazing you. It's just so real, Lord. But Lord, as you did for Peter, and, I, and this may be difficult for some of us, Lord, may you make it plain for us, God. May you make the things plain. Our fears, our pains, our greed, our selfishness. Let us be able to just give these things to you tonight. And as we worship, as we respond, as we take communion, as we give, as we go into our weeks and try to love and be loved, do our ministries, do our jobs, God, may you just move us forward in this repentance and rebuke. May we just be able to take it in. 
We just want to respond to you. We want to put our words out there. May you, by your grace and your gospel, put the rest of us to what we vision and dream, Lord. We love you. We want to love you more. We ask for your peace. In Jesus' name.